from Chicago, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. What's up, everyone? My name is Raj Nation, founder and chief pitch artist at Startup Hype Man, where we help startups, scale-ups, and grown-ups not suck at how they pitch themselves so they stand out to their audience and stand apart from the competition. This podcast is all about bringing you the hearts, the minds, and the stories of leaders in the startup ecosystem talking through the strategies they have deployed in order to build and grow their companies. And it's officially season 17 of the show, and all season long we've got a special treat for you, bringing you guests exclusively from the Startup Hype Man client portfolio, giving you a piece of their journey. Before we begin, if you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And remember, you can catch all the episodes from our 17 season archive and learn how to pitch your startup at StartupHypeMan.com. All right, get your popcorn ready and get hyped because it's go time. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Chicago, Illinois, and currently residing in Griffith, Indiana. He is the founder, CEO, and executive producer of the Elite Amateur Fight League. Please welcome Jesse Nunez. <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> did I do? Did I do right by you? You did right. You did good. <laughs> he is Jesse Nunez, founder, CEO, and executive producer of the Elite Amateur Fight League. And this is a different startup than what we would typically have on the show. But all this season, we're featuring different clients, uh, present and past, from the Startup Hype Man portfolio. And EAFL is a company that I've had the pleasure of working with over the past several years, both on helping with their fundraising pitch and also having the esteemed honor of being the official ring announcer for, I think, maybe four or five different events at this point, which has been a trip. And it's, and it's through that that this podcast, uh, I decided to start doing the, uh, the announcer intros every time. So EAFL has had a major impact on me, and I'm excited to have Jesse here on the show today. Uh, EAFL has uh, been around for eight years now, if you can believe it, and they've expanded into eight different uh, premier markets throughout the United States. They've raised $100,000 in crowdfunding, and they've built TV deals over the years through NBC Sports and the Marquee Sports Network. And this is a episode today. Our topic is specifically on scaling your distribution through unowned channels. And we're going to dive a whole lot more into that. But off the bat, Jesse, first off, thanks for being here. Thanks for being my guest today. Scaling distribution through unowned channels. Why is this on your mind? Why is this important to you? Man, it's important to us because we need to reach past our, our standard demographic and audience that, that we bring into the fights. For us to grow as a business and, and as a media platform, we need distribution that helps us reach people that normal, normally are not at our fights, are not watching us. And that's why an unowned distribution channel like a marquee sports network is so important to us. We are going to do a full conversation and deep dive into this. But before we do that, let's learn a little bit more about Jesse himself. Now, Jesse, we met through the Bunker Labs network. And for those listening who are familiar, Bunker Labs is a basically an incubator and accelerator for businesses that are started and owned by uh, military veteran entrepreneurs. So that said, Jesse, you have a background being in the Marines, and I'm curious to know if you could say pinpoint maybe your top one or two things that you could say, hey, the Marines taught me this, what would those one or two things be? 
Absolutely. So, so when you're a Marine, uh, they break you down, you know, all the way to where you just need to be a great follower. And then you learn from great leaders. And uh, I would think that's the biggest thing that I took away from the Marine Corps is, is you got to know how to follow to learn how to lead. And, uh, and that really helped me in business to, to understand that, you know, number one, all the traits of a good leader and, and all those things I've learned in the Marine Corps to bring that into business. And then, uh, you know, who the good employees are because they're the ones who will follow your lead. Uh, and, and obviously you have to motivate them uh, the same way you would a, a Marine uh, to follow you up a, a mountain while people are shooting at you. Right. So, uh, you know, those are the things I think I can take away most out of my uh, Marine Corps, you know, experience is, is be a great follower, learn how to be a great leader. Can you say a little bit more on what it does mean to be a follower? Cause that's actually, and I'm sure it's, it's like embedded in you being in the Marines, but I don't think the average person would say to be a great leader means you have to be a great follower. So how do you differentiate the two and, and what does following mean in your case? Well, in our case, they call it, you know, be, be a great Marine, right? Learn how to take the lead from the Marines that are ahead of you. And uh, in that case, like you've got to have an open mind, and realize that the people that are leading you, although you may not understand why that order is happening or why you were given that order, you have to follow it. There's a bigger plan. There's, there's a reason they asked you to do that, that, whatever it is that they're asking you to do. And uh, you've got to have the faith in your leadership to, to be able to follow their orders and, and achieve the ultimate goal, whatever the end goal is. And, and through that, you eventually, once you're, the Marine Corps is great because eventually you become that corporal, you become that sergeant, you become that staff sergeant as you move your way up and you understand why they were asking you to do these things. And maybe as a private and as a Lance Corporal, you don't quite get it, uh, but you need to have faith that your leaders are leading you in the right direction, right? So uh, I think by learning how to do that and learning why the hierarchy is the way it is, it, it'll help you uh, achieve more as a leader by being in a place of, of the the private. I feel like if I enlisted, I would get kicked out on day one then because <laughs> I am always asking, why are we doing this? <laughs> if, I, if I don't inherently understand it, I can't do the task unless I understand the why behind it. <laughs> right. Right. And, and let's be honest, there, there, there's times where the, there's not time to explain the why when you're in yeah. the Marine Corps, right? There's just not time. You have to live on the faith that, that your leaders are leading you in the right direction. And you just, you, you got you to go through with the, the mission. So coming out of the Marine Corps, you know, over a course of several years, you end up starting your own business prior to the EAFL. And you actually, for, for many years, actually ran a, an audiovisual company, Aztec Audiovisual. How did that come about? And, and I'm actually curious, not necessarily the function of running a company like that, but what made you say, hey, I can start my own business? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it was timing really is, is what it came down to. I got out of the Marine Corps. Joined the electrical union, uh, local 134, as a low-voltage electrician. And uh, right as, as I joined that union, the building boom was happening. And, uh, you know, there were houses being built everywhere for ungodly amounts of money because the banks were giving it away. And I saw a, a need for low-voltage, uh, you know, whole house audio, home theaters, that kind of stuff uh, that were being put in these high-end homes. And, uh, and I had that knowledge from, you know, being a low voltage electrician in the union. So after the four years or the, yeah, the four years I spent there to become a journeyman, I left and decided to start my own company where we built and designed uh, high-end electronics and homes because the, the home market was just so great. And, and there were, you know, there, 
there was a big building boom happening, right? So I, I just saw an opportunity to start a business. And, uh, and so I left the union and decided to do that. So this actually led to your first um, venture into television, right? Because you, you parlayed this business into a local TV show on building out man caves. Talk through how that opportunity came about and, and, and how, how do you end up on TV? Yeah, again, timing and opportunity, man. You've got to take <laughs> advantage of, of, of any opportunity that comes around when you're an entrepreneur. And uh, so we were building these high-end electronic systems and realized uh, the guys that were building the actual the rooms were making more money than the electronics guys were. So, uh, And they weren't doing as great of a job aesthetically as we would have had we built our own theater room or our home bar, right? Because we, we knew what we wanted it to look like. The sound and, and the visuals were great from what we put on on the electronic side, but the rooms were falling short. So we decided, we decided to start and design the rooms that our electronics were going into. That turned into a full-fledged build and design a man cave type of business, working with other contractors to, you know, to do their part of the job, and then obviously implementing the high-end electronics that we would normally put in. Uh, through that, uh, we were having, I was having a lot of personal success. Uh, I had picked up some corporate clients at the time. We were doing the homes and, and, and things were going really well. And I left to, to play some professional poker. <laughs> Not left. Wait a second. I don't think I yeah. knew that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I didn't leave, but I took some time aside to start playing some professional poker and did really well. Made a couple of the final tables. Uh, like in the world series of poker. World Series of Poker came to Chicago uh, on their traveling circuit the first time I played seventh. Wow. Uh, then there's local, uh, there's local competitions. Uh, one mm-hmm. of them is the Windy City Poker Championship that is on NBC Sports Chicago. I made a bunch of their final tables. And because they needed to talk about me, they have you fill out a little dossier to kind of understand who you are. They have something to say, you know, while you're playing. And so I fill in, I build and design man caves. So they found that interesting, made friends with the producer. And, and that producer... Uh, wanted uh, a home poker room built. Uh, so we became friendly. I built this home poker room. And uh, because he was in the business, he had some before and after cameras in the place, took a before and after shot and some video of the build out. And lo and behold, I won't get too far into it, but that turned into an opportunity to pitch a home improvement show where we built and designed man caves in the <laughs> local area. That's awesome. And from there, how do you then start like, like- how does the journey into, into fighting happen and, and being a promoter for amateur fighting? So we, you know, we, we had a good long relationship with uh, NBC Sports Chicago here where they knew we were providing good content through the, the man card crew, which was the home improvement show. And uh, they were looking for MMA content. And uh, I was able to view what they were putting on their station. And while the fights were good and the talent was good, the production value was horrible and I knew I could do a better job. So uh, what we decided to do was, you know, is, is put together a show that we thought would work in the market that followed MMA fighters that were up and coming fighters through their journey uh, on their way up to the big time. Right. Cause once they get to the big time, they they're not on NBC sports Chicago anymore. They're on the UFC. So we knew where the hole was. And, and that was, you know, no one was telling the stories for these guys. And, and that inherently leads to the problem we're trying to, to fix with the Elite Amateur Fight League. And I guess we'll get into that in, in the quick future here. But uh, so we were able to develop this show called Fighter First, which was not the Elite Amateur Fight League, uh, following up on these fighters and, and giving them good exposure and helping them build their fan base. So we were looking 
for where these amateur fighters compete on a national level so that we can follow them and tell that story. And what we quickly found is there is no national level of amateur MMA. It doesn't exist. They fight in a really segmented regional, uh, a regional based promotion that really doesn't lend itself to growing a fan base for these fighters. Doesn't lend it. uh, It doesn't help them become or move on to the next level. Right. It's very promotion centric. It's there so that the promoter can make money. And these fighters are basically uh, the farm system for them to bring in uh, viewers to watch their promotion and sell tickets. It's not really designed for the fighter to grow, uh, you know, become a marketable fighter and move on to the next level. And we found that as, as a huge problem. And, and, and the stories we were telling while they were good, they never really hit the mark because there was no after story. The guy was stuck in that regional market for seven, eight years, and then they just fade away. Uh, and so that like, was story it was like the loop didn't like complete itself. The loop didn't complete itself. Right. So the story never really got anywhere and there was never really any, anybody we can say hey, came from this promotion and now he's in the UFC. And if that was the story, they, they really didn't never relate it back to the promotion they started in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it saw a huge hole in the, in the market, a huge gap in the way professional or the way the industry of MMA was run. And so we took a whole year of R and D, to figure out, okay, how do we fix this problem? And while we were doing that, obviously the, the problem that everybody talks about today is fighter pay. We figured out why fighter pay is so low. Uh, it's the most dangerous sport in the world. And at the highest level, these guys are the lowest paid professional athletes in all of professional sports. How, 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 why is that? And, and, and how do we fix that? that? That's a problem. It's wrong. And what we found was they, had, they don't have any inherent value to the professional promotions coming out of the amateur ranks or even the low professional ranks, they have no fan base. So no one's going to follow them, right? They, they have no brand because nobody knows who they are. And if you compare that to the other leagues across the, the country that are doing really great things and, and that are really successful, it comes down to the NCAA provides a steady flow of athletes that have a brand and a following that people want to watch compete at the next level that, Point guard from Duke makes millions of dollars before he ever dribbles a basketball in NBA. And that's simply because the NCAA builds up his brand, builds up his, his fan base so that he has value. And that's not happening in MMA. So that's where we found that the hole was. And, and while we could have created another professional promotion and tried to compete with the other 100 professional promotions where UFC has 90% of the market share, doesn't make any sense to compete with them. We're not here to compete with them. We're here to be a steady provider of the athletes that will then compete in those larger leagues. And that was the missing gap. So our goal and our mission is always fighter centric. Uh, We're here to help fix the problem of fighter pay by giving them a national platform to help build their product, build their brand and build their following. So they have inherent value moving into the professional ranks. Let's use that as our transition point into today's primary topic, which is scaling distribution through unowned channels. And, and I want to just make a couple um, vocabulary checks for the listeners. If you're not familiar with the world of mixed martial arts and, and amateur professional fighting, we will use the word promotion over and over again during this conversation. When we say promotion, we mean like the league, right? So EAFL as a league, like in the fighting world, it's known as a promotion. UFC is known as a promotion. And so, and Bellator, those are all promotions. But what we mean is, is the league essentially. So you can think about it as like 
the equivalent of like the MLB or the NBA. And just to, to kind of help illustrate some of the things that you were saying, and this is, you know, this is pulling from some of the pitch stuff that we worked on. Like for those who aren't aware, you know, listeners, if you're not in tune with the world of fighting, I just want to make sure that you understand that this, like the people you see on, like on TV, on professional fighting, there was no NCAA of fighting for them. You know, there was no, you know, any major league baseball player went through the minor leagues first. There was, there's no minor leagues, you know, in an, or, in an organized way anyway, for fighting. And you have all these individual circuits, these individual promotions in Indiana, in Southern Illinois, in Arizona, wherever it might be, that's just pooling people who happen to live nearby and running fights, but there's not an orchestrated national network for amateurs to hone their craft and then essentially graduate up or get drafted up, if you will, to the professionals. And that's what EAFL is doing is it's, it's taking this individual circuit level uh, of amateur fighting and creating a coordinated national promotion to make, to, uh, to, to create the platform and the opportunity for these fighters to get some exposure, to get better at fighting and fight good fighters around the country, and then have the best shot at making it to the pros. And if they, even if they don't make it to the pros, well, hey, maybe the exposure means they get some media opportunities otherwise. Now, there's a couple other things I want to point out before we really get into, and, and I think it'll help understand why you're going the route you're going with, with how you distribute your product. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, I don't know if the listeners, if I don't know if you caught this, but I caught it probably in the first two minutes, Jesse, when you started talking, and then you, you mentioned this word and or these words a couple different times, you have referred to the EAFL as um, you've referred to it in the context of media and you've called it a show. And I want to start there because I think it's really important to understand the lens at which you look at your own product because yes, it is a sports league, but I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think you're looking at it as more than just this is getting fighters together. And I, and I want to hear you know, your perspective on this, on this idea of looking at your product as a form of media and, and, and as a platform and as this show, if you will. Right. Well, I mean, if you look at, at your sports leagues, successful ones, they are a media product. Let's, let's just put that out there. The UFC was bought by a media conglomerate. Right, they weren't bought by a sports league. They were bought by somebody who knows how to uh, distribute entertainment. Uh, you know, and and that's why we believe we're a media company as well. Uh, for us to have to achieve our goal of giving these fighters the value behind their name, we have to give them exposure. We have to give them an opportunity to compete in front of the masses, and that's a media product. Do we hold fights? Is it a sports league? It is. But at the end of the day if we don't have distribution in an audience uh, or we can't achieve our goal. Right. So we are a media product and, and that's why we refer to us as that. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, I think that's really important. And for any founders who are listening to this, you have to, you have to really have that conversation with yourself of what, what are we, if we really take a good hard look at this. And, and I think that helps guide a lot of the decision-making. So looking at the EAFL as a media product, if you look at a lot of, up and coming companies, they will have this mindset of like, 
We have to build everything ourselves. We have to own every single asset that's out there. We need to have our own app. We need to use our own platform. We need to own the customer experience from start to finish and have dedicated eyeballs 100% of the time. But you've really gone the opposite route, right? Like you, you, you started off like very early on and, and, and carried through for several years broadcasting through someone else's platform, and that was NBC Sports. And that's a lot different than, say, building your own streaming network. Yeah. Talk through why you chose that route of other people, you know, dis- dis- distributing through, a, through a, a network that you don't even own. Right. I want to start by saying, Raj, you're right. At the end goal is everything you just said, right? Having our own distribution network, having our own OTT, owning everything, right? But you can't start there, especially if you don't have, uh, you know, millions of dollars in the bank to help fund that. And when we started eight years ago, OTT channels weren't even a thing. And if they were, they were ultra expensive when they became available. And when we say OTT, just to clarify, we're talking about the individual streaming networks. Yep. Over the top television, which is individual streaming networks. Uh, And then when they did come around, you know, there was Roku and there was some other big players where it cost a lot of money to develop that channel if they would even accept you. Uh, You know, over the years, it's gotten quite easy. It's gotten much easier and way more affordable. And I will tell you that one out of every 10 calls I get or emails is someone trying to sell me, you need to build your own OTT network. We can do it. Here's the pricing, very affordable. We can absolutely achieve this under your budget, which is completely true. But who's going to find me in the sea of other OTT channels? Uh, and if they do find me, I'm driving them there. They're my fan already. And, and, and they're following me either through social media or, or from a live event or from a fighter. And they're coming there and I've already touch, have the touch point and have the reach to that person. For us to grow a media product, we need to reach outside of our reach, which is why we've chosen to go to broadcast linear distribution. Because while uh, the NBC Sports or, or Marquee Sports Network isn't a national channel, I can tell you that in its market, it's on in every sports bar across the market. You walk into a Hooters, a BW3, any local sports bar, and that channel is on one of those TVs. So I'm going to gain an audience that I didn't have access to. And that's the, the key to it because we want to grow. And we're not going to grow if we don't reach outside of the people that we normally touch that are our normal uh, clients. So that to me sounds like you're embracing the long game here, right? And you're looking at this as building up over time. Also, I think the, the other thing that I'm hearing with that is you're deciding like, what game do you want to play? Not just with the long game, short game, but like what or what battles do you want to fight? Quote unquote, in the sense of like, I think if you build your own out of this, you build your own streaming network from the start. Now you have to not only put on a good product, but you have to be solely responsible for getting people to view that. So you have have to build like an ad, like you have to figure out how to build like an advertising platform to get people to you just to be able to view your actual product. And I'm imagining that's not, it's not worth bifurcating your attention like that. Right. And, and, and the money to, uh, you know, to, to achieve what we needed to in marketing is, isn't the kind of money we had at the time. And still, we don't have that kind of marketing budget for us to advertise for people to find us on our own network. But I do know that Marquee has that money. And I do that, know that NBC has that money and they, and they're well-established in those areas where we're going to get residual fan base just from their channel alone. 
So for us, it's, it's, it, you're exactly right. We're picking our battles on and more where we're going to dedicate the money we have to help grow our product. And if someone else can do that for us, that's the route we're going to go. Can you share like what it is like to actually get on television, right? You know, and you mentioned the, the, the poker stuff is how you got to, through to NBC sports in the first place. And then that led to fighter first and then it led to pitching the show. But like, what, what is that process like? You know, I, I don't think anyone off the street can just go pitch NBC. Right. And I'll tell you, I, the way I got into it probably isn't the standard way to do it. Right. And, and, and I wasn't a, uh, a television guy. I didn't go to, to school to produce television. Uh, so I guess my experience is, is way different than most people. So this answer is going to sound far-fetched and, and, and not real. For me, it was just taking advantage of opportunities and the relationships that I built with other businesses. And it led me to opportunities to then pitch a product that I was passionate about and that had good legs, right? So that's not your normal way in. I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you what the normal way in because I didn't take the normal <laughs> way in. Uh, you know, I totally came came at this opportunity uh, through relationships and, 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 and building a product. So I, I, I really can't answer that question. Well, let's maybe we can uh, look at it from a different way then or a different part of that question, which would be, you know, they agree to air your show. Do you have any say in when it's going to go on and, and what, like what markets it's going to get broadcast to, et cetera? So, and, and when we broke in, right, we were, I'll be quite honest, we were paying for our time with, uh, with the man cart crew. It wasn't, they, they loved it so much. Hey, Jesse, we're going to pay you money and we're going to put you on and you're going to have these great time slots. It wasn't that at all. It was, all right, we think the content matches our viewership. We think it's good enough to put on television, but you're unproven. So you're going to have to buy your way in. So we were buying our, the placement of our show, you know, and, and the more I paid, the better time slots I got. And, and if, if it was available, because I have to compete with the White Sox, the Bulls and the Blackhawks that all run at the time slots that I really want. Right. So, you know, it, we were on on Saturday and Sunday mornings when there was no baseball, hockey or, or basketball. But it made a lot of sense for for the home improvement crowd that would have that channel on and, and, and were sports related. Right. They were watching the, the follow up on the game. And then it led them into a, uh, a show that were kind of built and designed man caves that they could watch sports in. And so for us, we bought our way in and then we proved ourselves and it led to other opportunities with other broadcasters and other conversations because we had a history of producing good content. How important do you think that notion of like, I know there's a terminant for TV. I just, I just don't know what it is, but that idea of like a piggyback time slot, right? Where, you, you don't get the prime time, but you get after prime time because there's going to be some spillover audience who didn't change the channel yet. Yeah, I, I think uh, in a scenario where it's in a sports bar, that makes a lot of sense, right? If we're on right after the basketball game or the baseball game, everybody was there to watch. They are, you know, they're not leaving. They're still going to finish their beer <laughs> and they may watch my show. And that's what happened with the Elite Amateur Fight League on NBC, that we, we were always taking those spillover time slots to try to to gain more access to that audience. Uh, I mean, so it does help. Uh, and, and obviously having content on that relates to your target demographic before you go on is, is ultra important. And another reason why we're on linear television. So let's, let's uh, maybe you can speak more than, cause you mentioned it early on in this conversation. Can you speak more to this kind of bigger vision of reaching the demographic? That's not just, 
the core, the hardcore MMA fighting fan. Right. And so, and, and that's, and, and I'll, I'll speak to that because I think that's a problem with moving the sport along. You're, excuse me, you're either a hardcore MMA fan or you're not an MMA fan right now. Uh, and I think, uh, and not only do I think, but it's proven that the majority of sports fans are casual sports fans. And I think you can look at the proof of that here in Chicago through the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks were on television at one point. They had a very small fan base. They turned it around, produced a great team. And then all of a sudden, everybody was a Blackhawks fan. But if you pulled 50% of those people, they had no idea the rules of hockey. They didn't know about hockey. But they were Blackhawks fans, right? And that's yeah. your casual sports fan. And that was me, actually, the, the, the year before, the, first, the year they're leading into their like, first Stanley Cup in like you know, 2009 or whatever it was. I, I mean, I had roommates who liked hockey. I didn't care, but then I started watching hockey. And I, as the as I was becoming a Blackhawks fan, I was also learning the rules of hockey. <laughs> right, and, and that was happening to a lot of people during that time, right? And so that's the point: is there aren't a lot of casual MMA fans, and that's why our unique uh, team versus team uh, platform, I think, will bring in a casual sports fan. You may not be a maybe you're a fan of one guy, but he's on team that he's on the Chicago Inferno, and you watch Joe fight. And then you watch John fight. And next thing you know, you become a casual fan of the team. And while they may move on, you, you're still a fan of the Chicago Inferno, right? Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring that, that casual sports fan who's tied to the sport via either peer relations or geographical location into the sport of MMA. And that's why we've developed a really unique team versus team platform. And I think that also, I think it also speaks to the benefit of running your distribution through other networks and not your own, because if you're trying to build up a fan base behind a team, I mean, again, it's a lot harder if you're just trying to get it. If, if more, the majority of the effort is just getting people to find it in the first place, like, like that can't be where the, the, the battle is fought, right? It has to be in, in them already being able to see it easily and decide if they like it or not. Right. Absolutely. And, and that's, again, I mean, that's the beauty of being on a linear channel that plays to the local, you know, sports fan base. I want to go a little bit more into this idea of the long game versus the short game. But before I do, I just want to take a quick step back and talk to our listeners for a moment about Google Analytics and about what's happening on your website. Uh, maybe you've got Google Analytics and maybe you hate it. Uh, and and if if I, if I pulled a room, I bet you know the majority of that room would probably raise their hand. And it's difficult because understanding where and why you lose site visitors before they convert is pretty dang hard. With GA, there's always some integration issue or you got to sort through a mountain of data just to figure out what's causing your leads to drop off. It's just not fun to deal with. It's kind of a nightmare. Even. And that's why I was really excited to learn of a better way to measure website analytics. And that's this company called Oribi. Oribi is a unique marketing analytics tool that captures all the events visitors perform on your website without you having to use any code. So Oribi enables you to analyze visitor behavior patterns, allows you to build smart funnels and get tons of insights. So you always know what your next step is, which means finally you can understand your visitors and know what to change on your site in order to convert more of your visitors into customers, AKA no more blind spots on your website. Now, Oribi is a new partner of the show, 
And you can start your free trial today at oribi.io slash today. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O slash today. And as a partner of the show, they've got a special 20% off coupon code for you. Just use the code HYPEMAN, all one word. Type in HYPEMAN at the checkout for 20% off any plan. That's oribi.io slash today, O-R-I-B-I dot I-O slash today. On this episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we are with Jesse Nunez from the Elite Amateur Fight League, talking about how they are scaling their distribution through unowned or external channels. Now, before the break there, Jesse, I mentioned wanting to touch on this idea of the long game versus the short game. Knowing that you have a bigger picture vision and the goal is eyeballs over time and and getting this product in front of people. How do you balance or juxtapose that against the need to stay, like keep this thing going in the short term as well? And, 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 and as a result, what would you say, or, or not what would you say, what are the, you know, the actual metrics and KPIs that you're focused on? Yeah. So obviously it's still a business, right? So we, we've got to be able to, to fund, uh, to, to fund exactly what we need to do to get to the end game. And for us, I, I compare it to a gas tank, right? You got to have enough gas in the tank to get to where you're going. And uh, our events need to help us fund and fill that gas tank. Uh, so, you know, having successful local events uh, with, with fans in attendance, and then parlaying that content into distribution content that we could then sell ad space on. Uh, it also is a great opportunity for us to upsell the sponsorships of the live events because we're not just offering uh, a corner pad for a one-time event in front of 1,000 or 2,000 people. We're offering them a corner pad at a live event with 1,000 or 2,000 people that they can physically touch, as well as replay distribution uh, across the spectrum of our broadcast partners. And while we're on Marquee Sports Network today, uh, we're already talking with some of the larger national uh, OTT channels uh, that have distribution of sports out there. Uh, so you're going to find us on Stadium uh, here real, real soon. And uh, that's a national uh, OTT channel geared toward the sports market also uh, owned by Sinclair Broadcasting. Uh, so, you know, it, it allows us and it helps us fund the growth of the company uh, simply because now we can upsell our sponsorships, give them more uh, uh, return on investment by working with us because we have a larger distribution network than just a live event. Now, with these different channels, um, for example, right, like EAFL was on NBC Sports uh, for a few years and then... Yeah. You know, Comcast, who owns NBC, says, hey, we're actually going to we're going to sunset all these NBC sports channels, these regional channels. So from my outside perspective, it seemed like almost like without missing a step, Marquee Sports Network, which for those who aren't based in Chicago, who don't who aren't close sports followers, Marquee Sports Network is the dedicated network of the Chicago Cubs that launched uh, about a year or two ago. Um, so every single Chicago Cubs game is broadcast on the Marquee Sports Network. Was it like the same people who were working at NBC Sports just started working at Marquee and then like that connection was made? But how, how did you just kind of like go straight from one network into another? Right, well, there's opportunity and relationship building uh, that, you know, that's the strength of every good business, right? You've got to know uh, who, who your friends are. You've got to build relationships with people. Then you got to p- supply a great product. Uh, the NBC Sports regional networks are still around. It's the national NBC sports channel that got sunset, right? And that'll end, mm. I think in two days, they're done. Um, yeah. <laughs> but your NBC sports, Chicago, your NBC sports, Philly, NBC sports, uh, you know, the other six channels are still out there and available. 
uh, the truth is here for us is we were competing with three teams for good for good programming time. We're competing with the White Sox, the Bulls, and the Blackhawks. Over on Marquee, it's just the Cubs, right? So when there's not a Cubs game on, obviously they want good sports content, and it was a better opportunity for us to move over there. And, and that's really where, where the move came from. Uh, I will always thank NBC for giving, our, giving us our shot initially uh, to get on television and bring the product over there. Uh, but as we grew, I felt our opportunities weren't growing there. And with the sunset of the national NBC Sports Channel, there was no end game. So, you know, we decided to, to move to an opportunity that was better uh, for the distribution of our product, uh, seemed to favor what we wanted to do, and, and was looking to work with us on the digital side as well as the linear side. So that, that's the re- those are the real reasons we moved. And um, as far as how we moved over there, uh, it was a relationship built through NBC Sports where, yes, obviously some of that Chicago talent's going to jump ship and go over to the new network, and that's exactly what happened. And we were able to just uh, maintain those relationships and, and pitch our opportunity. Yeah, and to your point of, you know, Marquee only broadcast the Cubs. I mean, I, I, I'm sure it's a profitable play for these networks, but like I always wonder how these networks keep going when they build a, an entire network for one team because outside of Cubs games, there's only so many pregame, postgame, and then like the Ron Sano documentary shows that you can actually air for, yeah. for even the most diehard Cubs fan is like, all right, I think I've had enough of my fix of this one type of content over and over I believe again. there's only a couple teams in this country that can do it. Uh, and one of them is probably the, the Cowboys, the Cubs. The Yankees uh, have it. The Yankees, right? I mean, those teams with those really hardcore, large uh, fan bases can, can float that. But most teams, I don't think, can, can do that. <laughs> well, uh, a couple more questions before we begin our wrap-up. One of them is, as you look at the future of distribution and streaming networks, you mentioned stadiums coming up. Um, you know, There's other platforms that are out there or networks that are out there like Fight TV, Fubo, right? Hey. How, how are you looking at the future of streaming and specifically in the sense of the t- like the other networks that are out there. Cause I know you said EAFL at some point will build its own when you hit a certain critical mass, but do you view this as like, there's a lot of oversaturation or this is a good thing that a lot of different networks are coming out and it creates a lot of opportunity for your, your promotion. I think there's a lot of opportunity for good content that can lead engagement. Uh, and, and to that point, I think the future of, of the sports broadcasting is going to revolve around engagement and mainly through sports betting. Uh, I think sports betting is the next evolution of sports television. You can look at that because the biggest media conglomerate in the United States, which is, which is Sinclair broadcasting just recently bought all the Fox sports networks and converted them to the belly sports network. Bally's is a gaming uh, company, right? And so you've got belly sports, San Diego, belly sport, Indiana, belly sports, Wisconsin, there's a reason why they're named Belly Sports, and that's because you're going to be able to bet on, you're going to be able to watch, bet, and win all with on the same channel, right? And, and we see that as the future, and that's why we've been talking to the gaming um, entities out there. FUBU TV is now FUBU Gaming, if you didn't know that. Oh, uh, that's they, right, yeah. They have a FUBU Gaming channel, right? So we're talking to everybody we possibly can to make sure we're ahead of that curve when it comes to broadcast distribution of engaging sports television and then also 
being able to be a bettable entity it takes a lot of work and a lot of legislation uh, to be a legal betting entity within some of these sports books. So we're, we're following that pattern. We see it coming and we're going to stay ahead of that curve. And, and I won't say too much, but we're working on it. <laughs> okay. So you view then the future of your product being live and interactive like for the viewer at home. Yeah. Our, our, our scenario is, is uh, bet, watch, win really is what it comes down to. We need to provide an opportunity for them to pick winners, watch our content and possibly win some cash. And I think that's the the way the whole sports industry is moving. Let's begin our wrap up. Jesse, first off, where can our listeners find you and find the EAFL and learn more? Yeah. Our biggest social media platform right now is Facebook. So you can find us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, you can watch us on uh, Marquee Sports Network, soon Stadium Network as well. Uh, and then you could always reach out via our website, eaflmma.com. If you have any questions, if you want to come see a show, uh, we have live shows all over the country. Our next uh, schedule is going to be March, June, August with an April date pending. Uh, most of them will be in the Midwest as well as we're working on an Arizona date uh, as well. So yeah, keep on the lookout, check in on all our social media, come see a show. As much as you see a show, you'll be hooked. And and Raj, Raj will Raj will back me on that. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, this is very true. And and yeah, if you if you happen to tune into the Marquee Network, you'll see you'll see me on on that screen uh, introducing these fighters. So I I gotta thank you're you're the reason that I've made it on on TV on NBC <laughs> and Marquee Sports Network, which is pretty cool. I I, I joke with friends. I'm like. I, I'm keeping the marquee network alive, not the Cubs. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, who is one person who you want to shout out who has been uh, helpful in your journey? Yeah, I think uh, my biggest shout out would be to our main, our main investor. Uh, I won't get into his name because he doesn't like to be, he shall be unnamed, I guess, or however they uh, explain. He shall, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he shall remain nameless. <laughs> he shall remain nameless. But uh, he's been a he's been a huge help, not only from a financial standpoint, but from a uh, advice and 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 historical backdrop of of him having the opportunity to work with us and and guide us through some of our financial uh, decisions, as well as just brand building and, and and knowing which battles to fight. Right, he's got the experience, and uh, he's a huge MMA fan. So not only does he understand the business side of things but he understands what our goal and believes in our mission, uh, which at the end of the day is fighter centric uh, as much as, as I want to sit there and talk about the product and, and what we do, the, the true reason we're going to be successful is why we do it. And, and that's simply because these fighters, it's a travesty that these fighters are the lowest paid professional athletes in the country. And you can't fix the problem without fixing the cause. And we're here to fix the cause of the problem. And, uh, and if we can do that, uh, we know we'll be successful. And, and, you know, uh, so big shout out to, to he who shall rename, <laughs> remain nameless, but he's helped us, you know, get to that, you know, to that story and that pattern. Let's do Go ahead and do our top one or two lessons or takeaways based on today's discussion. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. The topic today was scaling distribution through unowned channels. Uh, I think my biggest takeaway from this discussion is you have to be really honest with yourself about what type of company are we building? Once you know what type of company you're building, 
then you know what the appropriate distribution and overall strategy uh, should be. Jesse, top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners? Uh, I think the, the top takeaway from, from our conversation today, honestly, is, is to follow your why, right? We, we, while we could talk about distribution and scaling, uh, the true message is why we do what we do. And I think that that's what will be most engaging to the fans. And so I, I need to stay on the topic of exactly what our mission is and why we do it for us to be successful. My final question, which is how we end every episode of this show, fill in the blank, Jesse. Entrepreneurship is blank. Testing. It Why tests that? every. It tests. It tests your metal at the end of the day, right? You're going to have days when you win. You're going to have days when you lose, and it, it, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. There's days I win and lose in the same day. Heck, and there's days I I win and lose in the same hour as an entrepreneur. And uh, you've just got to really uh, be able to work through those roller coaster days, the down days, the up days. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. And it really tests your metal. Uh, if you're not a guy who, or, or, or a gal or someone who likes to, to be tested or challenged, don't be an entrepreneur because it's going to test you every day, sometimes every hour. And you've got to be able to get through it to be successful. And that's why entrepreneurship is testing. He is Jesse Nunez from the Elite Amateur Fight League. Jesse, thank you so much for joining today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Come see a fight, brother. (laughs) That does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and leave a rating and review in your podcast app or do us one better. Hit the share button. Send this episode to one friend who you think needs to hear it. While you're on your way out, don't forget to follow Startup Hype Man on Instagram and LinkedIn at Startup Hype Man. And remember, you can also connect with today's guest as well. They left their contact info. They love hearing if what they shared helped you in any way. StartupHypeMan.com is the place to catch the full 17 season archive and learn all about how to pitch your startup. We'll see you next week. But until then, stay hyped. Raj Nation out.